Amen. Praise God. If you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of 1 John. We'll get there in just a minute. Today, we're going to conclude this series that I've been doing about beholding the goodness of God, trying to see God clearly for who He really is, because 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that that's how we're changed. As we'll see in a moment, you're not changed by looking at you and all the problems that you have. You're changed by looking at Jesus and how righteous and how good that He is. Next week, we're going to do something special. I felt like God wanted me to do another. It's been a while since we've done a Holy Spirit impartation service. Um, so next week, if, if you don't know what that is, uh, I'll explain it. But if you want to have an encounter with, with God, be here next week. It'll be a lot of fun, all right? And I'll explain it so that it's not uh, scary or anything. Okay. So today, I want to deal with what is uh, kind of a controversial issue in the church I don't think it has to be that way. If you disagree with me about this, I love you. It's not a make or break issue. Everybody, uh, you know, this, there are lots of different viewpoints about this. However, getting it correct, I think, brings a lot of freedom and releases us from a lot of anxiety about how to do the Christian life. And the topic is this issue of confessing sin. And is it necessary for Christians who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior to confess their sins, either every sin or really the really bad ones and, and so forth. All right, and so we're going to go through this. Most of this is built on the scripture, 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this verse has been taken really sort of out of context, and there's been a huge amount of theology that has been built on top of it. On one end, you have a very, very extreme view. And the most extreme view is that if you do not confess every single sin to God, that you will end up in hell. Um, and this creates a situation where people live in a lot of anxiety, and at the end of every day, they go home and they pray, God, forgive me of all my sins, and they remind me of, of the sins that I committed that I wasn't aware of, and forgive me of the ones that I didn't know of, and all this. And and, uh, you know, it's like that, that old prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, all right? And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What's, what's that about? It's about our anxiety over our sin and our concern that if we don't pray the right prayer every day, we may end up in hell. Now, that's a pretty extreme view, and what uh, some people have done is moderated it a little bit and said, well, it's not every sin, because you can't... I mean, logistically, let's just be honest, you can't confess everything that you've done wrong every single day. It's hard to keep, you know, you'd have to keep a journal or something. I mean, it's really, it's pretty intense. And so what they said was, what you've got to do instead is just confess the really bad ones, sometimes called mortal sins. Uh, the problem with this is that nobody can seem to agree on what is a mortal sin and what is a venial sin. And there's different lists. The lists don't agree, and uh, it's compounded by the fact that Jesus actually said that if you uh, look on a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Well, most people agree that adultery is a mortal sin, but Jesus is saying, well, lust is just as bad. He also says that if you say unto your brother Raka that you're in danger of hellfire, and that was a bad word. It was, it was uh, you know, cussing your brother out. 
And so what ends up happening is that you actually basically end up back in the same boat because you say to yourself, well, was that, a, was that a really bad sin? Do I need to confess that one? And what you end up thinking is, well, I, I bet better safe than sorry, right? And so we, we end up back in this anxious circle. Um, and then there's a still more moderate view, which I believe for years, which is that confession of sin is unrelated to salvation, but it is necessary to restore broken fellowship. And so this is the idea that God doesn't send me to hell or something if I forget to confess something, but he doesn't talk to me either, and he gets, he gets upset, you know, that I've done this, and, and so he gives me the silent treatment. And, um, you know, the problem with that is, is if you're really honest, if I sit down in premarital counseling or marital counseling with somebody and somebody tells me they're giving somebody else the silent treatment, my response to that is that that's an unhealthy relationship tactic. And many people have basically accused God of not having the ability to do a relationship in a healthy way. So, that's a strong statement, but it's true. Uh, what is 1 John 1, 9 about? We'll get there in just a second. But it's important to note that is the only scripture, get this, it's the only scripture in the entire New Testament about confessing sin unto God. There's one. It's the whole Bible. whole New Testament. There's another scripture in James 5, 16 about confessing your sin one to another, but that's a different topic for a different day. It's interesting, if you think about that, that it's not mentioned anywhere in the book of Acts. It's not mentioned anywhere in any of Paul's letters. And if you just think for a moment, if you remember the story when Philip goes to meet the Ethiopian eunuch on the, um, you know, he's on, he's on traveling, and he shows up, and this uh, Ethiopian is, is reading Isaiah, and Philip explains it to him, and the guy gives his life to Jesus, and then he baptizes him, just like we're going to baptize people today. And then something crazy happens. The Holy Spirit whisks him away, like translates him somewhere else. And what you don't hear is him yelling as he disappears, remember to confess all your sin or you'll end up in hell. <laughs> it's notable because of its absence in Acts 15, where there's this huge council about what it looks like to be saved. They have a major discussion on whether or not you need to... Uh, uh, be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And what they conclude is, no, all you have to do is put simple faith in Jesus. They don't even bring up this issue of confession of sin. Why? Because it, was to it, it, it would blow John's mind, honestly, to, to see what a huge doctrine we've built on the back of this, this one scripture. Um, it's just not in there. It's not meant to be a major thing. Uh, I could talk about that more, but I want to kind of hustle through this. Uh, again, I'll refer you to this series I did um, called The New Reformation. I take you through most of the book of Romans. You can get that on our website, and I explain this stuff in more detail because this will bring up questions that I don't have time to answer. So you only get, you know, 30, 35 minutes a Sunday, so just have grace with me, okay? But what is 1 John 1, 9 really about? In order to understand this, you have to know a little bit about what's going on historically. One of the things that's happening historically is that um, the gospel is transforming from just a Jewish concept, and it's spreading out all over the, the Roman Empire. And so the Greek philosophers, the Roman philosophers, these people are becoming born again. 
And it's a cultural phenomenon. And just like today, there's lots of people wanting to have influence on the thing. It's a really, it, you know, it, it went viral before, before things went viral. And there's people that are trying to direct this. And Paul uh, primarily dealt with this group of people called the Judaizers, which were always trying to add something to what Jesus already did. They were trying to uh, tell people that they needed to also be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And that's primarily what the book of Galatians is about. It's Paul really being pretty angry and saying, no, don't do that. Don't add something to Jesus. Don't add your religious ritual to Jesus. Just believe in Jesus. That's all you need. But John dealt with a separate issue, and that was the influence of these people called the Gnostics. Now, the word Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know something. Anybody heard the word agnostic? Anybody heard that? So agnostic means I don't know something. If you say you're an agnostic about God, you mean I don't know whether there's a God or not. But the Gnostics are the opposite. They say they know something and that they have secret knowledge. And what this secret knowledge that they have that they know that makes them smarter than everybody else is that the physical world that we live in is evil. It's actually a prison and it's disgusting. And they would say, well, you know, just think about it. Think about your body. Think about the stuff in there. I mean, think about the guts and the, and the stuff that comes out of you. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. Isn't it? It's horrific. This is, how, this is how the Gnostics thought about this stuff. And they thought, you know what? This world is a prison. And this, this flies in the face of Genesis 1. When God created the world, what did he say about it? It's good. Well, the Gnostics thought, well, that guy's crazy. He didn't know what he's talking about. And they actually believed in a bunch of different gods. They called them archons. And they said that Jehovah was this guy called the arrogant archon. He's so arrogant because he thinks that, that the world is actually good. And we know, because we're Gnostics, that it's actually a prison and disgusting. Now, this is a message that I'll dive into more over the summer. But do you know it's, it's good to go enjoy a good steak dinner somewhere? It's all right. It's good. There's good things in life. It's good to spend time with your family. It's good to have a little romance in your marriage. It's, it's, these things are good. They are not evil. The physical world is not evil. There is evil in the world, but not everything that exists in the world is evil. There's lots of good. It's good to go sit on the beach and watch the sunset. How many of you agree with that? You can connect with God. So these Gnostics, they thought that everything that went on in the world was evil, and they reasoned from that premise. And so they said, if Jesus came, he can't have come in a physical body because our physical bodies are so disgusting. He must have actually come as just a spirit, which is why John, throughout his letters, insists that Jesus actually came in a physical body. We'll read one of these in a second, but 2 John 1, 7 says this. And they continued to reason, and they said... The physical world is evil, and it does not matter. The spiritual world is the only thing that matters. Which, if that is true, then they thought in their heads, that means that whatever goes on in my physical body, that's not real. That's not really what's important, and therefore sin isn't real. That's what they thought. They were sin deniers, which means that they thought, well, you know, sin, it's not really a real thing. It might seem real, but it's not. It's interesting that we've actually seen a resurgence of this belief 
not in necessarily Gnosticism, but actually in, in atheism. Um, and a lot of atheists will accept what is called moral relativism, which is the belief that I have, we've all evolved to, to get to this point, and there's no spiritual realm, there's no God, so there is no objective truth. So in the process of, of evolving, it was inconvenient for like one ape to bash another ape over the head with a rock, and that hindered the progress of society. So we evolved consciences, and we evolved guilt and all these things, and we created morality not because it's real, but because it helped society. So once again, it's denying the objective truth that sin is real and that sin is a real problem. Well, do you see how this conflicts with Christianity? Christianity says in Romans 3.23 that all have what? Sin. Sin. So fundamental to me being a Christian is the belief that sin is real and that I've done it. How many of you can accept that? All right, well, now there are people that did not accept that and did not believe it, and Paul was writing to address those people. So let's, excuse me, John was writing to address those people. So let's read 1 John 1 really quickly. That which we have heard from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Why is he stressing this? He's saying, look, I saw Jesus. I saw his body. I touched him. He was physical. He was real. He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't a ghost. He was, he was a person in a body. Skip to verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you might have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write these things unto you that your joy may be full. So what he's saying here is, look, I'm telling you some specific things that you need to know and understand so you can have fellowship with us and you can have fellowship with God. There are certain things that we need to believe in order for this to happen. Well, what are they? Let's read verse 5 and 6. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. All right. If you understand the construction of, this, of these statements, it makes a lot more sense. One of the things we run into in the Bible that we, we kind of mess up on is we read things like this that are metaphoric language and then... Whatever we already believe, we just sort of project that onto the, to the Scripture instead of actually continuing to look at the text and see what it says. All right? So we all have different pictures of what it means to be in darkness. But scripturally, you know, light means revelation. It means truth. And to be in darkness means that I'm confused about stuff. That's basically what it means. And he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So he says there's some darkness... There's some deception that will keep you out of relationship with God. But if you come out of that deception and you come into light, you'll have fellowship with God and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all what? Sin. So he doesn't say if you come out of sin, then you can have fellowship with God. Because, because he says, what you need to do, we've all got sin, but you've got to come out of the darkness of deception about your sin. And when you do that, what will happen? The blood of Jesus will cleanse you from how much sin? All sin. Now listen, the next two verses explain what this means. Verse 8 is the exact same as verse 6, and verse 9 is the exact same as verse 7. What he's saying is, 
is, okay, so he says, come out of the darkness, come into light so you can have fellowship with God. Then he says, what I mean is this. He clarifies it. If we say that we have no sin, well, who's saying they have no sin? Are Christians saying that? I sure hope not. Not real Christians, because real Christians say, this is the fundamental part of, of becoming a Christian, is I say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Right? Who's saying, who's a sin denier? It's the Gnostics. And they're saying, if we say that we have no sin, if we're a Gnostic, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but what? If we get out of that darkness and we step into the light, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of how much sin? All sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's this talking about? It's saying, it's saying there are people that aren't in fellowship with God. They aren't Christians. They aren't believers. Why aren't they believers? Because they're sin deniers. If I come out of this deception and I step into the light and I say, man, I've really screwed up. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. What will happen? He'll forgive me for how much sin? All of it. You know what all means in the, in the Greek? All of it. <laughs> for, forever. It's all paid for forever. Now, you might say, Pastor, I don't know about that. I don't know if I believe that. Well, I didn't believe it either until I understood the book of Hebrews. So go over to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll try to do this real quickly. Josh, can you come up here and put these chairs up while I'm talking? <coughs> We're going to do an illustration to help you understand. Hebrews 10 explains this, that Jesus' sacrifice is a once and for all sacrifice. So he says this in Hebrews 10.1, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year after year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, once they were purged, should have had no more consciousness or awareness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance made again every year for sins, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Okay, if you don't understand that, in the Old Testament there was this covenant, this contractual agreement between God and man. And it said, look, God is going to punish you for sin. Now that wasn't how it was before the, the, the law of Moses, and it's not how it is now. But under the law of Moses, God was punishing people for sin. But they said, look, here's something you can do to alleviate that. It's called the Day of Atonement. And the word atonement means covering. And so every year, they would offer all these sacrifices. And so you'd have all these sin and stuff, and, and, and you would go and you would do this, and it was a sad day, and you'd afflict yourself, and you would have your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. Everybody look up here. Past, present, future sin. So the Day of Atonement would come, and we'd cover up some of our sins. Okay? And we'd think, oh, well, you know, that's better than it was, at least. Okay, but then the Day of Atonement would roll around again, and it says it's a reminder every year of sin. What's that mean? Well, since then, I've sinned a whole bunch. So what do I got to do? Well, I got to cover that up. Oh, no, this, this came undone, okay? <laughs> That's more real than you know, okay? And then, <laughs> and then I'd sin some more, and so another year it happened, and I'd have to, I'd have to cover, and I'm trying continually to cover up 
my sin. And basically, this is, this is still the mentality of a lot of Christians, is that I'm using 1 John 1, 9 like a bar of soap, and there's some sin, and i got to clean myself up, and I'm, I have all this anxiety all the time about my sin, and i got to wipe it off. But let's read what Hebrews 10 says. Skip to verse 10. This is talking about what Jesus did on the cross. By the which will we are sanctified, we're set apart, we're made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering oftentimes the same sacrifices, doing the same stuff over and over, year after year, day after day, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins for how long? Forever. Is Jesus dying today? No, he died 2,000 years ago. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for how long? Forever. Them that are sanctified. What's this mean? When Jesus died, come here, Jesus. He came and he... And <laughs> Jesus is good looking, all right? And so he took our past sin, stuck it up, and our, and our present sin and our future sin... And he didn't just cover it. The scripture actually says he carried it away. It's all done. It's all gone. Now you might say, well, that's, that, I, don't, I still don't know if I believe that. Well, think about this for a minute. Jesus did not die on the day of atonement. This is a big deal. Jesus intentionally died on the day of Passover. You would think, at least I did, that, that Jesus would die on the Day of Atonement because that's what it seems to be about. But it's not about atonement. Because the word atonement means a temporary covering. The word atonement actually isn't in the New Testament. It's in there one time and it's actually a different Greek word. Turn back to Hebrews 8, verse 12. I'll read it in just a second. The reason that Jesus did not die on the Day of Atonement is that he wasn't doing something in the context of the Old Covenant. He was actually creating something entirely new. Totally new. And what was the Passover like? Well, there was a lamb. And they found this lamb and they killed it and they put its blood over the doorposts and over the sides. And then they went inside the house. And I'm sure there were marital disputes in the house. I'm sure there were people yelling at their kids. They were trying to cook this unleavened bread. I'm sure there were people actively <laughs> sinning <laughs> inside the house. Okay? But what? But the blood was over the doorpost and the death angel passed over. Not because the people in there were doing everything right and confessing all their sin and whatnot, but because of the blood. And what the Passover did is it signified there's now a new covenant. There's a covenant between the nation of Israel and, the, the, and God. But when Jesus died, he enacted a new Passover. And there's now a new covenant. And what's the new covenant like? What's the new premise of the new covenant? Let's read it. Hebrews 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember 
no more. Now, look, the word no in the Greek is a double negative. In the English, if you have a double negative, you're not supposed to do that because it means then it becomes a positive. But in the Greek, if you have a double negative, it intensifies it. So he's saying, I will in no way, never ever, never again, remember your sin anymore. It's all gone. I don't know, Josh, when I teach on that, it makes me really happy. I want to I run around or something. I want to... I start, to, I start to think, you know what? Maybe all this stuff I've been stressing out about, maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe, maybe I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's, it's light and momentary affliction. Like Paul said. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. What's this mean? It means that there is now a new covenant reality. And the, the, the default in the new covenant is that your sins are forgiven forever. So you don't, have to, you don't have to confess them to get them forgiven because it's already done. You confess your sin once and you get born again and then you're inside covenant and then it's all done. Now that's really encouraging. Now you might say, well, does that mean I should never admit when I do something wrong? Well, of course not. I mean, if you blow it, tell God about it. He knows about it anyway. So you might as well admit it. And you might as well admit it to your spouse because they know about it probably more than God. You might, as, you might as well admit it. And without admitting stuff, it's hard to get over it. Is that right? But why do I do it? I don't do it to get forgiven. I confess my sin. Here's a crazy thing. Because I'm already forgiven. If you find somebody that doesn't believe this, they'll have a hard time telling you about how rotten they are. You know why? Because they're afraid they're not really forgiven. But I know I've done a lot of stupid stuff that I'm not proud of. But once you know you're forgiven, it becomes easy to open up the book and say, hey, look at all this stupid stuff I did. (laughs) Thank God it's forgiven. That's a good word. Thank you, Jesus. So, now somebody might say, well, Pastor, if you preach this, you know, people are going to just run out and do a whole bunch of sin. Well, no. They'll actually live holier. Why? Because if you believe this, you'll actually start hanging out with Jesus because you'll quit being afraid of him. And if you start hanging out with Jesus, guess what? He's super holy. And if you keep looking at his holiness, what will happen? You'll be transformed into that same image. The problem with continually thinking about my sin all the time is it points the focus at me. And I don't improve by looking at me and looking at my failure. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, I'm transformed as I look at Jesus. Well, that's a good word. Okay, let's all stand up. My prayer team could come down here. Listen, this is the gospel. If you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you need to admit that you're a sinner. But if you do that, the Bible says that all your sin will be washed away and you'll be forgiven forever. You can live in unbroken fellowship with God. It's amazing. If you need personal prayer, if you need to give your life to Jesus, we'd love you to come down and pray with one of our prayer ministers. Right now, I'm going to pray. Everybody listen to me. And then I'm going to dismiss service. When I dismiss, if you're getting baptized, if you can go back and change... 
and then meet me in the pool. We'd love to have everybody meet us in the pool. It's just down this, you go out the doors here and it's down the hall on your left. It's the second door on your right. And there's bleachers in there you can sit and watch. And uh, it's great to have witnesses for this thing. So go out there, go change. I'm gonna change and I'll meet you in there. And then we'll baptize people, all right? If you can't make it, you'll be, be dismissed and we love you. Also, if you have kids, it'd be great if you could go get your kids and then meet us in the, in the pool. Just make sure they don't jump in there, okay? All right. Father, we love you. We thank you for this incredible truth that all our sins have been forgiven once and for all. And we just love you for it. Help it be real in our hearts. And Lord, we just receive breakthrough for everybody in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We love you. If you need personal prayer, come down. My prayer team would love to pray with you. Otherwise, I'll meet you in the pool.